As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, our guest is Katie Williams. How are you, Katie? I'm great, thanks. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for coming on. Let me tell you a little bit about Katie. She is an applied mathematician and director of business development at a math modeling service provider in biotech. She also serves as a president-elect of Women in Bio, an international nonprofit organization promoting gender parity in the life sciences. She is passionate about mentoring and building connections so that we can all grow and advance professionally. And I'm so excited to be chatting with a mathematician turned business development director. How did you start your career, your trajectory to where you are now? Sure. So as I imagine, a lot of people that you interview say it was not a direct path. And I really always was interested in science and mathematics from an early age. And I was fortunate enough to go to a university that had a major in mathematical biology. So from right from undergrad, started looking at the hybrid or the relationship, I guess I would say, between mathematics and computer science and engineering and the physical world, and in particular, biology, um, medicine, and human physiology, animal physiology. So I finished undergrad, did a PhD in applied mathematics with a minor in biomedical engineering and a certificate in statistics. So all of the just numbers and data and biology, and then discovered this fascinating field of drug development, discovery and development. And really, with in the last 20 years or so, as we've gathered more and more data, as our assays have become better and our understanding of the biology of drugs has become better and our computational power has become better, it's created this environment where mathematical modeling can help us understand our data and make better predictions for doses in patients, for optimal drug properties and optimal regimens or experiments to help get these life-saving drugs to people faster. So early on in my professional career, I was just that, a mathematical modeler, where I built systems pharmacology type models to help answer tough questions in drug discovery and development. And it was once I spent a couple of years in that role, first at Takeda and then later at my company Applied Biomath, I realized what I really loved was talking to people and understanding where their challenges were and then helping connect them to the solutions. So I will always love actually building mathematical models and writing computer scripts and solving equations. But um, now I spend most of my time in discussions with people who are doing the most fascinating and innovative 
drug discovery and development and helping figure out how mathematical modeling can help them help patients. Mm, your story sounds so similar to mine. I was, as a chemist, I was always asking why, what is this for? Why are we doing this? And I realized that what I wanted, I need more human interaction. I wanted to learn what the end result of all the work that we were doing in the lab was. And it sounds like you had that realization too. And so you decided, hey, let me make this leap into um, on the business development side. So tell me about that transition, because I know that it's like a different side of your brain, right? <laughs> you see doing the actual work and selling it or connecting those solutions. So how was that transition for you? Well, I certainly kind of, as you said, have to had to learn how to pick my head up from the details of looking at data sets and how different pathways work and looking at biomarkers and all of that detailed information to what is it that we're providing? What are the overarching challenges and where overarchingly does mathematical modeling provide a valuable solution? And one of the things I did was really go back to the market and, you know, what are the main types of drugs in terms of therapeutic modalities that are being developed? What are the big areas of research in different kinds of disease areas? And then in those particular groups, where is mathematical modeling valuable? And more particularly, where does applied biomath add the most value to potential clients? And so it was a mindset of, shift in, you know, instead of what the details are, where are the overarching challenges that then could be applicable to a variety of particular customers? And how do I talk about that with potential clients who are the chief scientific officers or other leaders and technical experts at their organizations? Mm. So talk to us more about your specific role at Applied Biomath and how You've been able to marry your PhD, oh my goodness, in applied mathematics, um, to this world where you're really doing this great work as the director of business development. Sure. So loosely speaking, my role is to help you know turn potential business into actual business and close sales deals. But because we're such a small company, there's many different actual actions that that role entails. So I go to lots of conferences, well, certainly did before the pandemic and hope to after the pandemic uh, is over. But it really, a lot of my role is educating people about how mathematical modeling could supplement the experiments they're already doing, how it can accelerate timelines by helping prioritize either candidates or studies and helping them determine who the right patients are, for instance, to get a particular treatment. So a lot of my role is thinking about and communicating how the, our particular work really is able to supplement the experiments and the studies that are already going on. And then, of course, statements of work and, you know, negotiating all of the legal documentation and, and all of the actual activities around a particular opportunity as well. But I think a lot of the exciting parts are really figuring out how to connect the people who have a need with what our solution is and to really figure out whether it's the best solution for them at that point in time. Ah, so it seems like your goal is to get people to stop spending so much time experimenting and iterating and iterating 
and really say, hey, why don't we look at this data? You guys like data, right? <laughs> Let's look at the data in a different way. And I can see how that really helped you know, companies. And if we think about um, money and time and the, the time it is to, to get drugs approved to market. So if you can cut your time down by 20%, 30%, like 50%, depending on what they're doing, you guys definitely have a, a big place in the marketplace. So has it been a challenge for you making people think about this problem that they're solving a little bit differently? Well, I think traditionally when there was a question, you ran another study, as you say. And traditionally, especially in early clinical studies, maybe phase one, you want to start at a dose low enough that you're not risking patients or volunteers' well-being. But you also, especially if you're developing a therapeutic for oncology, you want to start at a dose that's high enough that if your phase one individuals are patients, there's a chance they'll benefit. And so one way to think about it is through our mathematical modeling, we help clients find a better starting dose now that could be lower than what they were predicting, but often it's higher, but still predicted to be safe. And so if you save a couple of dose levels off your clinical trial, that can save six months. And that's six months of patent half-life. That's six months worth of individuals who are getting a dose that's more appropriate for, mm. for them. And then that's six months closer to approval. Wow. And then, you know, for me, in my layman's way, I'm like, and that's six more months that you're saving lives with this drug, right? Especially that's how we like to think about it. Oncology. Mm -hmm. and so you're not only this amazing mathematician and business development director, you also have an organization that you work with, Women in Bio. So tell me about that. Absolutely. So Women in Bio is an organization that currently has chapters in Canada and the United States. Um, we have 15 chapters all over, and the goal is to promote gender parity in the workplace. So it was started um, by a couple of founders with an early chapter about 15 years ago or so. And we now operate, have close to 3,000 members and uh, have everything from mentorship from an early age to executive women in bio to engage with those of us that are farther along in our careers. And we have events in all of our local chapters as well as webinars hosted by the National Organization we also have a session at Bio every year, and really everything is focused around supporting women in the life sciences and really broadly in STEM. And so tell me some of the, the changes. So how long have you been a part of the organization? So I joined in 2018, and I was living in the Raleigh-Durham area at the time, and the chapter down there was looking for a new chair. So I joined and kind of jumped right into the pool, um, applied for and ended up serving as the chapter chair there for um, close to a year. And at the time, we were looking to grow the chapter. So I also hadn't gotten into business development yet. And I really think this experience, well, it was wonderful for me personally, but also contributed to my interests in business development and sales. Because really, we had all these volunteers who wanted to further the mission, and we needed somebody to just pull it all together. So we started looking at metrics. How do you measure success in this chapter? What are the data that we get from the national organization? So we got the number of members every month and information about registration at different events. So we could start tracking 
Is our membership increasing? We did this big effort in February. Did we see membership increase more than we would have expected in March and April? We planned this big event that was really expensive. Did we end up selling out or how much of the maximum number of registrants were we able to attain? And that information helped us with sponsorship, attracting local companies, saying this is who we're serving. This is what our population looks like. These are the kinds of events that we do. And this is how we're engaged with young women, middle schools and high schoolers. This is how we're engaged with university level women. This is how we're engaged with women who are coming back to the workforce, maybe after some time off. This is how we're engaging with those who are late stage in their career and they're looking for, you know, to be able to give back and those who are maybe changing careers from one area to another. So it was really exciting to be able to serve the, the chapter in that way and plan new events and revamp the way we think about membership. How do you keep people engaged? Um, so I went from there to serving on the national committee as the vice chair of MAPS, which is mentors, advisors, peers, and sponsorship. And then uh, last fall, I was tapped to be the next president for the term of 2022. So right now I'm serving as president-elect and really act as a liaison between the chapter leaders and the national organization. Wow. And so I, I heard all of the stuff that you did within, um, you know, when you first started working mm -hmm. uh, with women in bio, you were doing all these things, you know, I think about sales all the time. So you really set yeah. yourself up for your sales career, like you said, mm -hmm. um, because all of those metrics and all of those things going out and asking for sponsorships is just like asking a customer <laughs> to buy something, right? Like, yeah. hey, here are some metrics. Here's this. Here's some data. And it sounds like, you know, based on the work that you did, you guys were really able to take the organization to another level. And so I commend you for that. And we always need more women in STEM. I'm a, a staunch believer that, you know, it, I don't care. And I usually, when I tell young girls, I'm like, I don't care what you major in. Do you want to major in chemistry, biology, math? I, it doesn't matter. Just major in something STEM, right? Just, just choose something because... There, we need more women entering into this field because that's the only way that we're going to change the dynamic and ensure that at the top in leadership that we have more women in leadership in STEM role. Absolutely. We need people, individuals to see others that look like them that are being successful in the field. And really some of these STEM fields, I mean, they're, it's people's lives. It's a life and death situation and you need the best people and the best people come from all different places with all different ideas. And so um, absolutely, I completely agree with you. Love it. So tell me about a, if you, cause I feel like you've told me so many success stories already, but I want to wrap up with a success story, a project, a team, something within your nonprofit that you're especially proud of. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think one of the things that has been really fun to watch develop is this lead management system that I built for my company. As I mentioned earlier, we're a startup. And so when I joined, we had all these leads, but every business development person was responsible for managing their own leads personally, sending individual emails and checking in with each person. And as you can imagine, Getting leads from conferences and webinars and events, that's an enormous number of emails to personally send. So I looked at our process and I started to look for patterns in our leads. And in particular, when I joined, 
I acquired a pile of leads that had been in our system for a number of years, but because of our limited bandwidth, didn't necessarily have a lot of personal contact with us. And I went through each one and looked at information that would help me figure out how best to communicate with them. And then I worked with marketing to update our software so that we could track in a bucketed sort of way what approximate disease areas is this person working in? What stage of discovery and development are they? And what are the kinds of therapeutics they're developing? Is it small molecules? Is it cell therapy? Is it gene therapy? And then every quarter, I would write an email for these individuals, and it would focus on one area. So maybe quarter one is stage in the pipeline, and quarter two is disease area. And so I would write 10 emails that were similar, but specific to how our company can add value to your disease area. And if we had a case study, I would put a link to that. If we didn't, maybe I'd put a list of questions that we could help address. And then those emails would go out all together, automated, sent out by marketing. But they were a little bit more personal than they would have been if we just had one email that went out just to the whole the whole portfolio of people. And what we found was that our open rate was much higher than it had been for our just regular newsletter that didn't have any personalized attention. And marketing and I worked together to look at when you send the email out and does that matter for the open rate? What day of the week? What time of day? And we looked at, you know, are people more interested in indication versus modality? Is it disease area that really draws people? Is it the stage of the pipeline that draws people in. We tried out different subjects. And I know this is something that people do all the time, but this was new for me. And it was so exciting to see the engagement. And I started getting emails back from people who we hadn't gotten an email from in five years. And so as this has evolved and developed, and we may end up hiring you know, people to do this more full-time and build this inside sales team, it's been really fun to see a problem or a challenge in an area that I don't really have experience in, but I can think through, and then work together with my colleagues to find a solution, assess, you know, based on the data, how it went, try something slightly different, and then see that it's bringing our reach farther and it's bringing the people who now are educated in our work and interested in learning more and collaborating with us back into the fold. So that's been really fun. Wow. And so I don't do this often, but I need to break down everything you just said for the audience to really absorb the process that you went through. So there are a few things that I really want to point out. One is she saw a problem within the organization. The problem she saw was a giant amount of untouched leads, right? And if you have leads in the system, that's like, those are warm. So instead of cold calling or LinkedIn or bothering people, it's like, these are people who have shown interest sometime. And then instead of just complaining and saying, oh, I can't get anybody to answer the phone. I can't do this. I can't do that. So many times you salespeople, you sales leaders, you give those excuses or you accept those excuses. Don't do that. And then she said, okay, here's the problem. I have a solution. I'm going to do a part, but then I'm going to partner with marketing. So many times within our companies, sales and marketing are fighting. They don't work together. 
Sales and marketing need to work together. This is a marriage. We work better together. And then it's not just this boilerplate, one size fits all email that nobody reads. That's what happens when you do a one size fits all. No one reads it. She said, I do 10 separate ones and there's little tweaks and stuff, but it's once a quarter. So I needed to break that down fully so everyone understands whether you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you're a salesperson or a sales leader, when there is a problem within your business, when there is an issue, when there's something that you wanna solve, don't just pass the buck. Take responsibility and say, this is what I can do and we can do together. So thank you, Katie, that was awesome, awesome, awesome. I don't get those moments often where I can break things all the way down to really help people understand and digest. And I must say, this is also why being a scientist in technical sales rocks because we think about problems <laughs> this way. We break things down. We think like scientists and we apply our scientific knowledge to sales. Thank you. That's awesome. So how can people get in contact with you, Katie? What's the best way? I would say LinkedIn is the best. Feel free to reach out for a connection or send me a message um, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I guess it's combination of loving to meet people and women in bio and my work. So would love to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. So guys, make sure you reach out to Katie. She says she's an open book. If you do reach out to her, actually add a custom note and say, I heard you on Snack Size Sales Podcast. So she knows that, yeah, okay, this is what this person, um, this is what our conversation may be about. Thank you so much, Katie. That was amazing. I appreciate you taking time to chat with the audience today. Thanks for hosting me. I really enjoy your podcast. And so I look forward to hearing more episodes in the future. Awesome. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast, where we talk about the science of selling STEM. Be sure to go to snacksizesales.com to get your free ebook. And in everything you do, transform your sales. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.